Welcome to the Tell Us Something podcast. I'm Mark Moss. In this week's podcast, you'll hear stories about a man walking from Missoula, Montana to Los Angeles, California to raise money for the homeless, the points of light that ground us and keep us safe, and a daring horse rescue on the Loxall River in north central Idaho. Our podcast was recorded in front of a live audience on September 24th, 2019 at the Wilma in Missoula, Montana. Eight storytellers shared their true personal story on the theme, Leap of Faith. Today, we hear from three of those storytellers. Our first story comes to us from Stephen T. Milhouse, who takes us on a journey walking from Missoula, Montana to Los Angeles, California, regaining a lost hope in humanity along the way. He calls his story, Homage for the Homeless. Thanks for listening. August 3rd, 2011. I was at the old Pavarello in downtown Missoula. I was surrounded by friends and family and I was about to embark on a 1,460 mile solo walk from Missoula to Los Angeles. 1,460 miles is the average number of miles that a homeless person will walk in one year. I had lived homeless in LA and if it wouldn't have been for the VA, I probably wouldn't have been here and I wanted to pay it forward. I was asking people to donate a penny a mile, $14.60. I was also taking this journey as a way to make amends for all the mistakes I had made in my life and to say I'm sorry to the people I'd hurt. And I also wanted to honor my 22-year-old niece, Rachel, who had been killed by a drunk driver in February of that same year. My heart? was full of hurt and anger. And I needed to know if there was any reason for me to have hope in humanity. So at 52 years of age, unmarried, no children, overweight and out of shape, I headed south on Highway 93. And I stumbled and bumbled my way through Montana, up and over Lost Trail Pass, and I got to Salmon, Idaho, where I had my first wake-up call. A Christian couple had invited me into their home, and they fed me, and they prayed for me, and they prayed for my journey, and they had a friend who was an ex-military medic who treated the blisters on my feet. And I went back to my tent that night, and I came to the sobering conclusion that this wasn't some game. This was a serious endeavor, especially to people of faith. And when I left Salmon, I had an emotional burden that I wasn't prepared to carry. And I meandered south through Idaho with only my thoughts and the hurt and the anger. And by the time I got to Twin Falls, I was in some serious pain. And it wasn't because of blisters. I literally limped into Twin Falls. I found the local homeless shelter called the Valley House. And they got me to the VA and they took x-rays. The diagnosis, stress fractures of my left metatarsals. Their recommendation, quit or take some serious time off. I went to the Valley House and they took me in and I stayed there for three days hearing the stories of the people that lived there. But I had to get back on the road. Their stories stayed with me and they humbled me. And I left and it didn't go well. The pain and the swelling came back with a vengeance. 
and I had hit an emotional and physical wall, and it was a failure, failure, failure. I didn't want that anymore. And I kept going, and all of a sudden, I came across a delineator that had a bouquet of balloons, and it had a piece of scripture on it. No name, just an inspirational scripture and a bottle of water. And I picked it up, and I kept going. And every now and then it would happen again. I'd come across a delineator, and there'd be another piece of scripture about journeys and another treat. And this went on for a day and a half. And I got to the last delineator with a gift, and I sat down on my rig, and I looked at my swollen foot, and I read this last note, and it was from the people at the Valley House. And they were thanking me for giving them hope. And my heart cracked open. And all that hurt and anger started to seep out. And I was filled with hope and determination. And I was going to need that in the days to come. There were some pretty dark days ahead of me. And their last gift to me was a donation. It was for $14.60 from homeless people. I continued on. I got to Jackpot, Nevada, where the Nevada State Police said that I had to have a hydration plan, which meant that I had to carry 16 more pounds of water. And the first two days in Nevada, all it did was rain. I was pissed off. <laughs> I woke up one morning and all my gear is wet. I am soaked, I'm in a hurry, and I'm trying to put my left foot into my shoe and I hear this sound. Poof. And I screamed in pain and I remember telling myself, Stephen, you gotta be careful, you've got a stress fracture. So I gingerly tied the shoe back on and I got on the road. My next stop was Wells, Nevada, where I caught Interstate 80. I got in the eastbound lane, two lanes of interstate traffic going 80 plus miles an hour, and I'm walking into it, headed towards Reno. And I called this stretch of the road the never ending up. You would climb a rise and get to the top and think, oh my God, this is gonna be great, I'm gonna have lots of time going to the other side, but it wasn't. You take a little dip and then you're back up again. And I'm climbing up one of these little hills. And I look up to see how far it's going to be. And I see this pickup truck coming over the rise. And he's pulling a 30-foot RV camper in the lane nearest to me. And then in the passing lane, there's a semi-truck that passes him going 80, 90 miles an hour. And he blows by and the RV starts to fishtail. And it just gets worse and worse. And all of a sudden, the RV and the pickup truck are perpendicular in the road. And the RV flips on its side. The pickup truck is almost on two wheels. A propane bottle flies off and bounces past me at 60 miles an hour. I can't do anything. I can't run that way into traffic. And the pickup truck and RV are going that way. So I just stood there and it stopped. 50, 75 feet. I went up, 
I asked if everybody was okay. They were. And I continued on towards Reno. I got to Reno. And I went to a VA hospital. And they x-rayed my foot again. And it's exactly what you think happened 400 miles before out in the desert. They said that my foot, that poof, was the bone fracturing in my foot. But what happened over the course of that 400 miles is that the bone had separated. And they were worried that I was going, it was going to die in there and I was going to get blood poisoning. The doctor asked if I was going to quit. And I said, no. And she, on her own dime, bought me a boot. And I put that boot on and I left the next day, headed up to the Sierra Nevadas. And I got to the top of Donner Pass. And it was one of the most beautiful nights that I ever spent. I was surrounded by spiritual indigenous territory, 4,000-year-old petroglyphs. But I had to get up the next morning and make my descent into California. And in terms of the homeless situation, it was like a descent into hell. But everywhere I went, Vallejo, San Francisco, LA, there were good people doing good things, fighting the good fight for people living homeless. And I made it to LA on January 2nd, 2012. And the gift of hope and determination that I was given a thousand miles before served me every step of the way. And it serves me now, and it will serve me for the rest of my life. And I'd like to end by giving you a gift. It's something my mother shared with me as a child. And it's something that I shared with Rachel, a three-year-old Rachel on the day of my mother's funeral. And it goes like this. And it was, I have to tell you, the way that my mother and I said, I love you. Sleep tight and don't let the bed bugs bite. Wake up right in the morning light to do what's right with all your might. Good night. Thanks, Stephen. Stephen T. Milhouse was born in Bozeman but grew up in Missoula. He graduated from Sentinel High School and the University of Montana. He is Montana through and through. He would like to thank his Millhouse and Spalding families for their love and support. Our next story comes to us from Jenny Pack, who introduces us to her aspiring rock star son and allows us to walk through the labyrinth with her on a healing journey through grief. She calls her story Out of the Dark. Thanks for listening. In 1996, my son Alex was born, the youngest of our five children, and the only boy. The fact that Alex was almost two feet tall at birth should have been a good signal to me that he would be a large boy. Uh, He went from a brown-eyed, snuggly little boy who loved panda bears to a very strapping young man in almost the blink of an eye. And by eighth grade, he was nearly six feet tall. He taught himself to play guitar, acoustic bass, electric, and ukulele. 
And he was going to quit band because he played the trumpet and he didn't think that had the cool factor that the guitar had. So he made a deal with the band teacher that if he would go home and teach himself to read the music, he could come back and take a test and perhaps he could play guitar in the band. So he did. He took a weekend, he locked himself in his room, he used YouTube and the internet, and he went to school on Monday and took the test, and he played bass in the school band after that. And his love of music was pretty singular. That would be the first thing he would do in the morning and the last thing he would do at night. And this is when he began to perfect his rock star image. Skinny jeans, every color, high-top Converse tennis shoes, and they didn't have to match. Blue on one foot, red on the other. He had a collection of T-shirts that he loved to wear, and one was a extra small from the girls' department. It had a V-neck and cap sleeves, and in very glittery letter across the chest, it said, I heart Barack. <laughs> and it showed off his abs and his guns, and he liked that. His hair was long over one eye. He dyed it pink, and then he dyed it teal, and he had to flick it out of his face all the time. He could apply eyeliner with the best of the Hollywood makeup artists, the smoothest line you ever saw. He went everywhere with a guitar strapped to his back, he would go on the bus to the Mercantile Farmer's Market out to lunch and busk. He made a deal with the manager of the movie theater down the street from our house. He could stand in that spot at that time every day and play music, and he'd come home with money in his pockets. He was going to be a rock star. And in August of 2011, he died in a tragic accident at the river, he died. And I was sucked into a black hole of grief that I didn't think I would ever find my way out of. And there was one thing that existed in this hole with me, and it was the shriek that had come out of my mouth when I heard that my son was dead. But if I looked I could see these tiny points of light all around me. And they were the people in my life, my friends and my family, who would not let me go. They would text, email, phone calls, letters in the mail, cards. Somebody would show up with a bottle of wine. Somebody would come by to take me for a walk. And they just wouldn't let me be. And a month after Alex died, it was September, it was the fall equinox. And I wanted to go to the Red Sun Labyrinth in Victor. Um, very spiritual place. And for the equinox and the solstice, they let you come at night. And they line it with luminaria, and it's quite lovely. I'd never been. I wanted to go. So my friend Dee Dee hopped in the car with me at 8.30 that night, and we drove south to Victor into the dark. Didn't quite know how to get there had some rudimentary directions, but we found it. And the first place we passed through was an archway, welcoming us 
telling us to take a rock out of this little box, write a note on it, and take it into the center of the labyrinth to leave as an offering. So I picked a beautiful rock and I wrote Alex Pack, 1996 to 2011. And I carried it with me. We went down this path that was very dimly lit with fairy lights in the trees. Just enough light to see where we needed to go. And then we exited the trail into this meadow where the labyrinth is laid out on the ground in front of us. And I walked the perimeter first just to settle into the space. And there's lavender growing all along. And as I walked by, that aroma just enveloped me. And then I was at the, at the beginning of the labyrinth path. And it's sinuous and windy. And it cuts back on itself and swings around the other way. And I knew that I wasn't going to get lost. There's one way in and there's one way out. So I took the first step, and I walked until the path made me turn, and I walked until it made me turn again. And I felt my mind quiet, and my breath became more even, and that shrieking noise faded away. And I could hear the gravel crunching under my feet, and I just concentrated on that and my breath. And then I was in the middle, it took a while, but I'm in the middle. And I put my rock on the altar, and my friend Dee Dee and I stood there and cried together and grieved together. And then I knew that I had to move on. I had to leave. So I took the first step out, and I found my way out to the exit. And at the exit, we noticed that often the distance, not too far. There was a campfire, and so we walked over there. And there were a lot of people there that night, and there were a lot of people around the campfire with their chimes and gongs and drums and bells and Tibetan singing bowls and everybody doing their thing. And we sat on a bench and kind of hunkered down to look at the sky. And as I looked up at the sky, I was immediately taken back to the night that Alex died a month earlier. After my husband and I had come home from the hospital, it was about midnight, and I walked into my house, and everything was just wrong. And my mind was just screaming with how wrong it was. And I stood in the middle of my familiar house, and I thought, what now? What does a person do. I couldn't sleep. That was not going to happen for another six days. But that night, I went out on the porch, and I sat in a lounge chair, and I looked up at the night sky, and it was the height of the meteor shower in August. And as I lay there, all that time, I saw one shooting star go over my head, the height of the meteor shower, and there's one star. And I thought then... And now, there he goes. There's Alex off on his adventure. A month later, we're around the campfire at the labyrinth in Victor. The meteor shower is long over. 
and Didi and I lost track of how many stars passed overhead. It was just a riot. And I felt that Alex had come back and brought everyone I had ever loved and lost, and there they were. And I got great comfort from that thought. That night at the labyrinth has been a metaphor for my grief, that endless, deep, dark, windy, unknown. And that black space that I lived in for so long is still there, but it's quite small now. I will get sucked back into it, though, if I hear a Green Day song or a young man's particular laugh. But after eight years of love and support and a lot of hard work, I know that if I can find that point of light and take that first step forward, that is the way out. Thank you. Thanks, Jenny. Jenny Pack was born and raised in Montana. After living up and down the West Coast, the family settled in Missoula in 1998. Jenny works as a senior caregiver for Home Instead Senior Care. In her spare time, she is a living history presenter, traveling around to libraries, museums, schools, and senior residences, portraying women from Montana's Wild West days. Thanks for listening to the Tell Us Something podcast. If you enjoy the stories you hear, please recommend the Tell Us Something podcast to one person who has never heard it before. You can subscribe to Tell Us Something wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you. We have one more story in this episode. Before we get to it, I want to take a moment to thank our sponsors. Thank you to our title sponsor, The Good Food Store. The Good Food Store, supporting Western Montana farmers and ranchers for almost 50 years, and local artisans stirring up our favorite salsas, baked goods, kombucha, ice cream, and more. Learn more at goodfoodstore.com. Cabinetparts.com, the number one source for cabinet hardware since 1997. Anyone searching for the best kitchen cabinet hardware at a great price needs to go to cabinetparts.com. Cabinetparts.com combines knowledgeable hardware specialists with all the best online shopping experience nationwide. Cabinetparts.com is the direct source for all of your cabinet hardware needs. Logjam Presents, headquartered in Missoula, Montana, Logjam Presents is an independent and privately owned live entertainment company. Logjam Presents is the exclusive operator and promoter of the Keto House Amphitheater, the Wilma, the Top Hat Lounge, and Ogren Park. Logjam Presents has created a unique artist and concertgoer experience that is unmatched in the Northwest. And coming in the winter of 2020, The Elm in Bozeman, Montana. For more, logjampresents.com. A few news items before we get back to the stories. We are excited to announce our new storytelling workshops. Let Tell Us Something help you craft your story one-on-one. We also offer group workshops with corporate and nonprofit pricing. To schedule a workshop and to learn more, go to tellussomething.org slash workshops. We are currently taking story pitches for the winter quarter Tell Us Something live event in Missoula. The theme is Tipping Point. To pitch your Tipping Point story, call 406-203-4683. All right, let's get back to the storytelling. In our final story, Jamie Jacoby and his crew help rescue a horse that has found its way to the wrong side of the Locksaw River during the height of whitewater season. Jamie calls his story Badger Crossing. Thanks for listening. 
So, have you ever wondered how certain sections of the river get their nicknames? Well, tonight I'm going to tell you about how a section that I've come to know on the Loxaw River is named uh, Badger's Crossing. So, uh, it was a, a cool afternoon, the day after the Loxaw Rendezvous, a big party celebrating the uh, start of the Loxaw whitewater season and uh, the swell of the river. We're getting a late start on the river, partially due to uh, being up you know, throughout the night partying by the, the bonfire and dancing to the band and enjoying the festivities. Um, a little hungover and, and uh, so I'm taking seven Loxaw virgins down the Loxaw for their first time. And you know, it was a very, uh, very cool, rainy day, typical Loxaw spring day. The clouds were coming down the valleys and uh, settling over the river. Very, very surreal, very, very ominous feeling, and uh, definitely some, some nervous people on the boat. Not to mention that we were the last boat on the river uh, because we were putting on so late, uh, which some of you who may know me uh, may not be surprised with that. But so we're, uh, we're, uh, Paddling along, uh, we run the, the middle section, we put in at nine mile, and had a, had a smooth run through everything, uh, despite a, a near flip at 10 pin rapid. And then we're floating along through, through the middle, uh, between the upper and lower sections, and it's kind of a, a calmer section. All of a sudden, we see a guy standing beside the road, on the right side of the river, waving his arms and pointing to the opposite side of the river, and uh, someone in the boat looks over there and says, look, there's a wild horse! And so, you know, I think, uh-oh, this can't be good. Um, something's, something's not right here. So we paddle over to the guy on the side of the road, and he runs down and says, oh, thank you so much. Thank you for stopping. You guys are my last hope. Can you please ferry across the river and get my horse to swim back over here? <laughs> and so, of, of course, we're all like, what? Are you, are you kidding me? Um, and so he says, yeah, I was, I was driving along the road and I, I stopped to let my horse out to get a drink and I rode him down to the river bareback and my horse slipped on a rock and fell into the river. And the horse was not able to get back out on the, on the right side of the river where the road is because of large boulders and the horse panicked and swam to the opposite side of the river. And so... He says, you know, he's, he's a good horse, he'll, he'll come to you, here's a, here's a bucket of grain, and can you... <laughs> so, uh, so there we go, we start ferrying across the river and with our bucket of grain, and uh, so we're, we're getting closer over, over to Badger, uh, Badger was his name, by the way, and... Uh, so, so, you know, we're getting over there, and I can see Badger is obviously scared to death. He's, he's shivering cold. His mane and tail are tangled and wet. His, his, he's lifting up his back foot because he had banged up his ankle, and it's bleeding a little bit. And his eyes are just as big as golf balls. And so we ferry over to him, and we're able to catch an eddy, you know, right in front of him. And... I grew up with a horse, so I felt comfortable getting out and, and approaching him. 
And I, you know, pet him a little bit and comforted him. And I could tell he was glad to see us, but also nervous about what was potentially going to happen. So, you know, I, at that point, tried to pull him. He, he had a halter and a lead rope on, so uh, I had, he had a rope. So I tried pulling him, tried to convince him to, to step closer to the water so that we could try to ferry him across. Um, he stood there with his, with his feet out, just <laughs> front legs locked. And, you know, I could see in his eyes there was no way he was getting back in that river. By this point, within a few minutes, a uh, state trooper had shown up on the other side of the road and started communicating with us via loudspeaker. Um, <laughs> so, um, you know, we're, we're, I'm pulling and pulling, trying to get him to get closer. The first thing the, the cop says is, uh, we've contacted the local horse packers and swimming the horse across the river is the only option. And, of course, we, we look at each other, we're like, no shit. Um, because we're, we're, you know, this is the, uh, if you've ever been over to the Locksaw, the, uh, the other side of the river, the river left side, is, it's wilderness, there's, there's no trails, it's, it's very thick, big boulders, you know, thick vegetation, there's, there's nowhere to, to hike out of there. So we're, you know, we're continuing to, I'm continuing to try to get him to, to take a step forward. Um, and he's not budging, his legs are locked. Um, the next thing the, the uh, cop says over the loudspeaker, are any of you commercial customers? And uh, we had borrowed a raft from Bear Paw Expeditions and so we all, we looked like a commercial trip. And so we all shook our head no. And he says, well, would one of you mind getting behind the horse and pushing? <laughs> and, uh, so, <laughs> so uh, we, we all chuckled and uh, said, well, uh, okay. So the other, other guy in the boat got out, got behind the horse, and, and started to push. Still, Badger is, you know, legs locked, and he is not moving. He is, you know, scared to death and does not want to get back in that river. Um, so we're, you know, we're pulling, the, the owner gets on the loudspeaker and is like, try walking him around in, in circles or side to side, and, and there is literally no, no place for him to go except into the river with the rocks that are around him. And so finally, the uh, cop gets on the loudspeaker and says, can you try pushing up on his tail? And so <laughs> Travis, who's behind him, starts pushing on his tail. By the way, at this point, there's you know, probably 30 cars that have pulled over <laughs> on the other side of the river that are you know, watching in awe, cameras out, video. It's, a, it's become a scene. And so finally, after, after some good hard pushes on his tail, which obviously hurts uh, a horse like that, he, he looked at me, and I could see it in his eyes. He said, okay, this is, this is my only option. And, uh, and so Badger took his leap of faith and stepped towards the water and, you know, motioned to get in. I jumped in the raft as quick as I could and said, all forward! And so we started our, our ferry across and Badger jumped in behind us and I'm yelling at my paddlers, paddle hard, paddle, paddle! So we really had to make a ferry angle before going around a corner, which wouldn't have been good. And I'm yelling, paddle, paddle. I'm looking back. I've got my guide stick in my hand and a lead rope in one hand. I'm, I'm looking back at Badger, who's swimming for his life behind me. 
His whole body is underwater, except for his nostrils. And I can, I can see it because the water is so clear there. And he's just swimming for his life. And his nostrils are and lips flaring and eyes just big as golf balls. And he swam, swam for his life. And we kept our ferry angle and we got to the other side. Badger ran up onto a small rock bench and uh, got out of the water, you know, up below his knees. And he stood there, you know, obviously in, you know, in gratitude and, and our, <laughs> our boat, <laughs> our boat was above him and so we slowly kind of floated into him and he just stood there and held his ground and, and held our boat as we kind of bumped up to him and we were able to get out of the boat and, and hold the boat and you know, the owner ran down to us and thanked us so much and you know he had a slice of hay for Badger and he, uh, he said if you, he gave us $20 for our trouble and, <laughs> and uh, he said if you, if you ever want to ride him, you know I board him in Lolo, come, <laughs> come find me, come ride him. Um, you know, and people are clapping along the shore. And, so it was, it was quite, the, quite the crazy scene. So at that point, we decided, well, we ferried back across the river to pick up Travis, who we had had to leave on the other side. <laughs> and at that point, we had to make a group decision because it was pretty late in the day. And uh, we decided with all our river karma that we had just gained that we would continue on down the, the second half of the river. At the end of the day, we had a smooth run. Everything went great. And at the end of the day, my hands still smelled like horse. And that is how I came to name a section on the river, Badger's Crossing. Thank you all. <laughs> Thanks, Jamie. Jamie Jacoby has lived in Missoula for the last 15 years. He works in physical therapy and does massage therapy on the side. He enjoys sports, the outdoors, and live music. His many outdoor adventures have led him to experience some interesting situations. Remember that our next live storytelling event is in Missoula at the Wilma on December 10th. Get tickets for that at logjampresents.com. You can pitch your tipping point story at 406-203-4683. Tell us something is proud to be fiscally sponsored by Missoula Community Foundation, a 501c3 organization. Missoula Community Foundation has been providing leadership to Missoula nonprofits and inspiring long-term philanthropy in Missoula since 2007. MissoulaCommunityFoundation.org Thanks to our sponsors, Clearwater Credit Union, a force for good. ClearwaterCreditUnion.org Missoula Bone & Joint, providing superior clinical orthopedic care to their patients for over 60 years. MissoulaBoneAndJoint.com Access physical therapy, an enthusiastic team dedicated to providing compassionate and comprehensive care to their clients. Learn more at AccessMissoula.com Missoula Broadcasting Company, locally owned and operating four stations, including the Trail 103.3, Missoula's Quality Rock, Jack FM 105.9, playing what they want, U104.5 FM, your at-work listening station, and ESPN 102.9, focusing on city, state, and regional sports, giving exposure and insight to teams and athletes in and around western Montana. Learn more at missoulabroadcasting.com. Enlighten Lab Float Center. Unplug, reset, and recharge at enlightenlab.com. Gecko Designs. Visit the Gecko Designs team on North Higgins and Missoula or online at geckodesigns.com. 
filthy design. Montana stickers, mugs, and apparel with a twist. Etsy.com slash shop slash filthy design. Thanks to Cash for Junkers who provided the music for the podcast. Find them at cashforjunkersmusic.com. Podcast production by me, Mark Moss. Thank you to everyone who attends the live events, those of you who download the podcasts, and most especially to the storytellers, Stephen T. Milhouse, Jenny Pack, and Jamie Jacoby. To learn more about Tell Us Something and how to pitch your own story, please visit tellussomething.org. Until next time, remember, your story matters.